and welcome back to Real Seekers. I'm your host, Dale, the Real Seeker. And uh, today I'm joined by, uh, again, no stranger, he's been on several times now, uh, Dr. David Kemble Cook. Hey, David. Hi there. Hi. Awesome. It feels good. I, I just get to call you David this time. I don't have to differentiate differentiate oh. you from the other day. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, but, uh, I guess just as a quick intro, um, what have you been up to since the last time you were on the show? Anything interesting? Or? Uh, yes. I, I Well, not, um, for, for me, yes. Interesting. I've been rereading David Bentley Hart's The Experience of God, mm -hmm. which um, I, I read last year early last year after reading Bernardo Castrop's book on idealism and I I go along with a lot of what David Bentley Hart says there it, it's uh, he's talking about being consciousness and bliss as the the three ways of understanding God in the classical sense and I, I go along with that sort of process of thoughts this general sense that we're picking up the the classical theism across all different religions of god as being behind creation um being somehow enveloping consciousness and being the source of bliss or blessing and morality as well and ethics and this general way of understanding god i i am in sympathy with him but the second time reading it I'm finally I'm getting very irritated because he's always attacking materialism, the materialistic way of understanding things. You know, the Daniel Dennett line, which is no such thing as consciousness or, or, or whatever, you know, that, that everything is just made up of atoms and physical processes and um, that the world is just the way it is and it just has always existed and, and so on. Um, but I'm getting very irritated with that because he's very uh, verbal and prolix in his criticisms, but he does not actually say what his model is. Now, the way you see it, metaphysics, um, you've got three basic metaphysical models. You've got materialism, you've got dualism, and then you've got idealism. Those are the kind of three ways of looking at the world, if you like. Either the world is fundamentally matter and energy, or the world is fundamentally um, consciousness and mind, or the world is universe is kind of a, a mixture of both, has both, but interacting in, in, in some way. Um, and and he, he talks about materialism and criticizes it. He talks about dualism and in a, in a more friendly way, but still criticize that. He doesn't mention idealism <laughs> at all. And he doesn't say what his own model is. He doesn't say what his preferred model, and maybe he's going to say that at the end, but I'm over halfway through now. And so I'm getting a bit irritated with him. Yeah, there, there is a tendency in these debates to always just focus on those binary options, I guess, yeah. I guess because they're the majority opinion or something. Like yeah. That. So it's, yep, I hear what you're saying. Um, I got the same criticism in my own uh, substance dualism show from Anthony 66. Uh, so all right, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, basically, what we're doing here in today's show, we're following up from last time. Um, last time, we kind of went over David Kimball Cook's uh, argument from the problem of evil for atheism. And um, he asked us during that show, he asked me, kind of thing. I provided my Molinistic defeater that everyone's familiar with. And 
that was serving as an undercutting defeater uh, that undercuts David Kimball's uh, Cook's, uh, David's uh, justification for believing in one or more of the premises. Mm -hmm. And during that, uh, David kind of said like, okay, but other than, can you actually try and provide an argument in premise format uh, or at least semi-premise format and prove that this Molinistic defeater is actually true so that it's a rebutting defeater? And I've never done, never attempted to do that. Um, and as I think we're going to find out today, I, I still don't think I've been able to do it. Um, but I gave it an honest shot to take on that burden of proof and let's see what happens type deal. So um, yeah, I guess to start off, David, um, would you be able, I've set it up so you can share your screen. Do you want to just like, if you have the original argument for problem of evil, Online, yes, okay, sure. I'll I'll share that, and then we we want to look at yours, don't don't we? Um, yeah. so you'll put that on, but certainly, okay, I can do it. I'm on there. Yep. Oh yeah. So, so you see what we're saying the way that we set out the argument is it's clear what are premises and what are conclusions there and we we um i was expecting the the theist or the christian theist to object to premise four yeah if god is morally perfect then god has the desire to eliminate all evil because i was thinking that a Christian theist would likely say that God has other desires as well, like promote soul making, you know, or promote free will, which which conflicts or you know, alternative desires, so that there are other things that God has on his plate. And so evil is he he does not want to eliminate all evil because that would interfere with those other objectives or desires. So I was expecting you. To object to premise four, but you went in and objected to premise two, which I was not expecting at all. So we went round that quite a lot, didn't we? Um, we did. I hope it was clear what I thought. You know, the structure was that that the weak point of the argument from from you know the Christian theist point of view is is premise four, and and if but we actually talked a lot about omnipotence which i thought was a diversion because i thought you know um, omnipotence omnipotence really means omnipotence and anything a power to do anything that's logically possible and so but you had some more qualified idea of omnipotence which i thought was a bit of a diversion gotcha yeah and i if um i remember when you came back i did kind of um clarify that i kind of modified your premises so uh, yep premise two is not a problem and i focused mm -hmm. solely on premise four saying that god does not have the ultimate desire to um uh, prevent or refrain from actualizing all evil and that's i think where we were gonna debating the last time we we argued it and that's where my molinistic defeater came up because i was saying well, actually, there's a greater good, right? That 
God has the ultimate desire of saving as many free will souls as possible. And that's my, and the only way to do that is to actualize this world that has unfortunately some evil in it. And um, that's where you kind of put it to me. It's like, well, do you have an argument for that notion or is, are you just giving it as a undercutting defeater? So mm -hmm. um, I've tried, I've attempted to come up with some kind of an argument and premises for that. So if, yeah, if you take down yours, I'll, I'll put up mine. And okay. Just before I do, um, I think um, we just, you know, I think we should comment on this, that this argument is logically valid as far as I can see. The question is whether it is sound is down to, I, I think, premise four. And I think that's what you're hitting on now as well, Yeah, is that your defeater is aimed at premise four. I, I understanding it's, it's a valid argument, the conclusions follow from the premises, and I don't think you're objecting to premise, really uh, now objecting to premises one, two, three, five, or seven i think i think you're now accepting all of those so um, if i'm right that your 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 defeater argument is aimed at premise four is that correct that is that is correct yeah i, mean, yeah. I just had okay, well, minor modifications to the to the wording but yes the, the that's machine. good yeah. okay so so we know where we are <laughs> yeah cool good right so all right sharing. so it's my turn yeah um, okay, so I spent about 45 minutes just coming up with this, um, and I kind of, just bear with me. For me, it's trying to come up with this from, from scratch and come up with the main elements. Um, David, in terms of validity, if you spot a hole, cool, you can let me know. Maybe there's a missing premise, whatever, but yeah, the main thing is, is it sound? I, I think that's where the ball... Well, of course, of course, of course. I mean... First of all, is it valid? And secondly, is it sound? I should say, Dale, that really, um, William Lane Craig should have done this years ago, shouldn't he? Uh, I think, I guess so, yeah. Like, I've never. Yeah, he should, he should have done. I mean, you pointed me to one of his videos, which was from, from about 10, 11 years ago. Um, but uh, he's a Molinist and he's arguing, obviously, um, as a, trying to get a defeater for the problem of evil. So he should have set out an argument like this long ago. The, so, I, I, I'm not sure about that because I, well, let me put it this, you know the difference. There's an undercutting defeater, which is where we just try to undercut the other's justification. You're the one making the claim. I'm just saying, how do you know that? You don't have proof yeah. of that. And then there's the rebutting defeater. So I, I've attempted to make this rebutting defeater kind of thing. We'll see if it okay. ends or fails. Um, but the, the, the reason why I was hesitant to do it, and possibly William Lane Craig doesn't want to do this either, is we have to make that fundamental point that, look, whether I succeed in doing this with this argument today or not, I can just provide the Molinistic defeater as an undercutting defeater. And it's you, the problem of evil, will fail unless you can disprove, you know, the essence of the Molinistic defeater is right or wrong because the burden of proof isn't adopted. Now, what, what we're doing today is I'm saying the heck with it. I am going to make a positive claim. I'm going to say your problem of evil argument is wrong and I can prove it's wrong because this Molinistic defeater. And 
So I'm adopting a, a burden of proof on my end as well. Is that is that the same as um is that same as an argument undercutting my premise for? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I, I yeah, I know. And in the talk that you gave me the reference to, he uh, he talks about that. He talks about God has might have reasons like you know free will or soul making for allowing evil yeah exactly. he talks about that but he does not set out the arguments in a in a logical way yeah yeah for sure yeah and i i think that that can help kind of thing right as long mm. as that fundamental point about the burden because you you've get you get it personally when i've asked you but other atheists don't they just mm. always shift the burden on to, the skeptic they make their well evil exists therefore god doesn't exist they never yeah. meet their burden and instead they ship no. to the christian to prove you know if they come up oh a soul making defense or something like that oh well unless you the christian proves it then i'm right kind of thing and mm. that's odd the way it works so all right i'm not a, i'm not an atheist dale i know i'm just, I'm just saying in you general. said other atheists <laughs> oh my my apologies yeah <laughs> All right, cool. So, so I still me... believe in God. I still believe in a God. I'm a theist. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. And I had you in mind here. So, all right. So let me go over this. The the first premise. Okay. So God, and I just because I know David Kem Kemble Cook believes in a different type of God. So as understood under the Molinistic defeater. So you know he's the the Christian God kind of thing defined that mm -hmm. way. And he is minimally omniscient, omnipotent, and morally perfect. If God is omniscient, then he minimally has knowledge of all true propositions. So that's another premise, isn't it? Is that what's the kind of definition of omniscience? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there, okay, so here's my first sub-argument. Therefore, mm -hmm. here's the sub-conclusion. So at this point, I was following argument patterns. This is a, you know, a modus... Uh, mm -hmm. um, modus ponens. Modus ponens, affirming. I, I, I think, yeah. I said that. Oh, uh, I think so. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Awesome. So, so yeah. There, therefore, God minimally has knowledge of all true propositions, right? So that's the first sub argument. I can't see how you would. Do you have anything to say about that, or do you want me to just go on? Or well, we can point out here that um, that one of the, if you like, the defeaters for the problem of evil comes from an open theism perspective which denies that god has knowledge of the future uh -huh. and we may say that if we've got an idea of the future as consisting in as some single future that is what is going to happen but god doesn't know just like we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow god doesn't know either Mm -hmm. uh, but so it may be true that I will eat cheese for lunch tomorrow. I think it's very likely to be true that I will eat cheese for lunch tomorrow. But um, if I actually will eat cheese tomorrow, then uh, if God is omniscient, he knows that. But under the open theist perspective, God does not know that. Gotcha. OK, so uh, I, I, are you familiar with this this line of arguments? I am, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, are are you saying now? Are you just raising that as another way of doing that, or do you, are you saying that open theism is somehow 
a false, like somehow attacks this sub-argument here. Yes, yes. Uh, Molinism, uh, open theism is, uh, is attacking premise one uh, in the sense of understood by premise two, uh, that, um, that there may be a single future, but God does not know it. Okay. What so it, 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 is, it is a way out. It's not one that I, I, I'm very keen on at all, but I, you know, I, I know obviously you know open theists, Christian philosophers who are open theists, and who may use that as uh, as a way of getting around the problem of evil. Gotcha. But, um, but anyway, so with that, let, let shall we move on to? Yep. Uh, we'll just yeah. sure. J just one one little point to that. So just so the audience understands. So I would say that the open theism or any other concept of God that's different than this would not count as a defeater against the truth of this premise. Why? Because this is, what is this? This is my argument to prove specifically the Molinistic, the God of the Molinistic defeater. So he's, that's the only concept of God that's relevant to this argument. Obviously you can have like a meta critique that well I don't believe in that God so or something like that maybe but um I'm kind of like trying to restrict it there so that's why I didn't I don't know does that make sense or yeah yes yes uh, uh, indeed indeed and um, and and we may we are at liberty to accept or reject that premise one gotcha okay yeah. cool. okay so then premise four okay great so just still moving on with God's omniscience so okay there are in fact true propositions corresponding to counterfactuals of creaturely freedom. Um, just to explain what that means, what any given free creature would freely choose to either to will to do or to will to refrain from doing in any given actualized set of circumstances or state of affairs. Um, and I specified that this is with respect to one's meeting or failing to meet the biblical requirements for salvation, because that's the relevant aspect. So those are, it's a very specific set of counterfactuals of creaturely freedom that mm -hmm. we're looking at for the Molinistic defeater argument. Mm -hmm. um, oops, this is, okay. Um, okay, cool. So, so then in three and four, uh, again, it's a valid modus ponens pattern, um, or sorry, uh, so therefore God knows all true, true propositions corresponding to counterfactuals of creaturely freedom related to one's meeting or not meeting the biblical requirements okay. of salvation. May I, may I come in there, Dale? For sure, yeah. Yeah, so I, I've been thinking about this, the, these counterfactuals of creaturely freedom, and I wonder if they really exist. <laughs> okay. You know, if, if, um, if this happened, I would do that, that kind of thing, you know. Um, uh, Craig uses the example in his discussion with um, Justin, uh, not Justin. Um, James White? Helm, um, no, the, the other guy uh, from, your, from Canada. Um, Paul Helm. The, 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 Paul Helm, thank you. I knew it was Helm, I didn't, forgot his first name, yeah. Um, if we the army had gone around the right flank, they would have prevailed. That's right. Now he's he's Craig is absolutely right in saying that talking about these counterfactuals is the bread and butter of everyday discourse in a modern society. You know, 
if I hadn't done that, then this would have happened. You know, if only if only I hadn't or if only I didn't hadn't refrained from doing that yesterday, my life would be different. All this, you know, if I hadn't chosen which universe that other university to go to instead of this one, my course this would have happened. And all, all of that, this is the way we do reason like this. But just the fact that we reason like this doesn't mean that these propositions have actually truth values. I mean, we may think that, I mean, we, we, um, we, we, we talk about it, we give them truth values because we think up in our minds what's likely and what's not likely. But, but is there actually anything that in the reality that makes these things true? Is there, you know, a kind of alternative universe, an alternative world in which I, I chose A instead of B and that happened, if you like, so okay. the consequences were there. Um, okay. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the ground. I'm questioning, it's the, I'm questioning the, the existence of these CCFs um, as actual propositions whose truth values can be obtained, whose truth values are definite uh, with 100% probability. I know we argue about them and we use probabilistic reasoning to, to talk about them. We do this all the time, don't we, Dale? All, all of, you know, in life, yeah. if I'd done yeah. this, if I'd done that, this would have happened, that would have happened. If I did ate that sandwich, I'd have had a stomach ache. Uh, but, but, you know, using our reasoning, but I'm saying, is there actually something that makes this true? You know, okay. Or is it just our own, our own reasoning on probability grounds, which enables us to make decisions or just talk? interestingly <laughs> do you see yeah. what i'm saying um, yes, I, I, I know it's, william it's... Lake craig thinks that they are but but um but i've read in in, in various papers disputes about this that they may not exist at all you know that there's there's philosophical uh disagreements about the existence of these things yeah and okay so in terms so... of propositions that have truth values okay okay so here, here's my response so you're talking about this came up with William Lane Craig uh, debate with James White on Unbelievable, and it's the grounding known as the grounding objection. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. Um, okay, and and just to clarify, just to clarify for the audience, because I think this will be helpful. You're not just denying that there are counterfactuals of creaturely freedom. You're denying that there are any counterfactuals at all. So, like, it's a wider set of propositions that you're saying what's the grounding for those you're not just yes. okay good yes um, so here here's what i would say if somebody responded to that right so i actually have a difference of opinion with dr william Lynn craig uh and marvin wallace who's a, a listener of the show and he's a, a fan of unbelievable you know david you know him um so I, I'm, I, think, I think it's called a truth maker maximalist, right? So I do believe that there are truth makers. A lot of, most philosophers would say that, you know, things like counterfactuals or uh, in, order to, in order to be true under a correspondence theory of truth, you have a truth bearer. So this is like a sentence or a proposition. And it, if it corresponds to reality or a truth maker, something in reality, that's what makes it true. And most philosophers say, well, in order for the correspondence theory of truth to be true, you don't have to have a truth maker. Um, I'm a weirdo in that I am a maximalist. I think there does have to be a truth maker. So what on God's green earth would be the truth maker for counterfactuals, let alone counterfactuals of creaturely freedom. And it's basically under my definition of God, I think that under God's aseity, 
which the Molinist, the Christian God would uh, espouse, all potentialities, the counterfactuals exist as potentials within God. God has the cosmic mm -hmm. capabilities to actualize one set of circumstances versus another. So, and those circumstances would, we would respond accordingly based on our free will or something like that. So that's what I would ground them in. It's, it's in God. It's grounded in God's causal potential in his, partly in his, um, in his mind, because he know, he knows mm -hmm. the propositions to create them, but yeah, I would ground them in God. Is that the same as saying that God knows all the possible worlds? It's, it's more than, it's more than just saying he knows them. It, it's saying he has the uh, power to actualize them as well. They exist as, in as potentials within god god's causal potential to create mm -hmm. that world versus that another one mm -hmm. yes so, so um so do you, is this what's called middle knowledge for, for in the case of the 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 counterfactuals of human freedom yeah this so this would correspond to god's having the middle knowledge right these counterfactuals mm -hmm. of creaturely freedom the specific mm -hmm. subset of counterfactuals that's mm -hmm. corresponding to God's middle knowledge. Okay. So, so it comes down to his omniscience then, does it? Yes. Premise one. Yep, exactly. This so, is so. Just, just kind of spelling out exactly what, how omniscience uh, entails. God does have middle knowledge. So you could actually then, um, include this uh, in if you restructured the arguments to say that um, omniscience minimally are so on as number two but then maximally has knowledge of all counterfactuals for premise two you're saying like just say um you could you could augment premise two by saying he minimally has true knowledge of all true propositions and maximally um has true of all proposition as knowledge of all counterfactuals or maybe you're yeah, just yeah i mean no i mean maybe you're just including counterfactuals under propositions exactly like i could just yes. true propositions including counterfactuals of creaturely freedom because that's okay that's the key okay i see i understand i understand right um so my 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 problem with that then is is questioning whether um, counterfactuals can be true. Like for instance, if I eat cheese uh, tomorrow, I will not have a stomachache, but if I eat ham, I will have a stomachache. And so, uh, and I actually ate cheese, I didn't get a stomachache, but the proposition was if I had eaten, if I eat cheese, if I eat ham, I will get a stomachache. Or if I had eaten ham, I would have got a stomachache. That's an example of a, a CCF, isn't it? And you're saying that God has to know that. That's part of God's knowledge. What would have happened if I had done something I which I other than what I did? Yes. And uh, or like another uh, reversing it the other way around, sort of sort of saying like um if um if i win a million dollars i will buy a car i would buy a car uh if i don't win the lottery I, I would not buy a car 
or something, or I would refrain from willing to buy a car or whatever you want to say. Um, I, th I think that in the first place, it, it's true in a properly basic way, right? We have, it comes down to what philosophers call this dual ability. Um, and I, I think that that's true in a properly basic way. Uh, there's also some scientific evidence for it. It's not conclusive. I, I had a debate with Val and he gave the proper response to it, but it's still supporting evidence that supports how things either seem to us if you're a phenomenal conservatist, conservatism proponent, or in my way, it buttresses this properly basic belief, right? So mm -hmm. it comes down to, I, I think we can clearly see that there is a truth value to this proposition, you know, if I had a million dollars, I would go out and buy it, um, a car. Uh, but if given the new circumstances, I don't win the lottery, I don't have that spare money, I would not mm -hmm. buy a car. That That's obviously true or false kind of thing about, about me. So it's... So it's, is, 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 that, is that what makes it true? The fact that there is some possible world in which Lucky Dale does win the lottery and he does go out and buy the car. Yeah. Is that yeah. what makes it true? Yeah. God, God could have actualized, he, God had the power to actualize that world mm. in which yeah. those circumstances obtained. So, so yes, so somewhere out there is, yep. is Dale, a very rich Dale with a car. There we go. The, that lucky bugger, I'm jealous. But Yeah, but, <laughs> but not this but not this world <laughs> not this world unfortunately no <laughs> so that yeah, okay so i mean so I, I wanted then to note there's a debate about this uh -huh. and so i i know your point of view I, i'm skeptical now i'm skeptical that these i know obviously they exist as propositions but uh but i dispute that they have um truth values that can be ascertained or determined Obviously, we may attach probabilities. I mean, we may say it's absolutely certain that Dale is going to buy a car if he wins that lottery. But that's our opinion. Uh, we won't know it's true unless you actually do win the lottery. Let me, um, well, I, I think we, God has created us with modal evaluating faculties, which does give us reasonable access to other worlds, even if they don't exist. But um, what I want to ask you is, let, let's start with the creaturely free. Forget about the counterfactuals or, or the grounding for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, do, you, do you at least uh, agree that, um, you know, we do have creaturely freedom, that we do have a dual ability to will to do something or to refrain from willing to do something? Or do you deny um, it? Um, yes, yes, I do. I do. Okay, awesome. Okay, so great. So we do have this dual ability that that's evidently true. So then in terms of the counterfactuals, um, obviously, there would be propositions that could apply to each of those abilities being actualized or something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And those could be true or false. And then it's just the question of was well, it true that what is it that grounds these things? And I, I would just say, well, apart from deny, like you would, it comes back to again, denying premise one, because God, as I've defined him in premise one, the Christian God is described as existing a say or 
you know, he has divine aseity. So everything, every potential, every proposition, uh, everything that exists in creation uh, is comes from God, is ultimately explained and or caused by God in, in one way or another. Um, so it would make sense if you accept premise one, could I get you to admit at least that much? If you accept that, God of premise one. So you're asking if I accept premise one? Uh, no, I'm saying if you were to accept my definite understanding of God, no. uh, that then you could accept premise four about the counterfactuals un under my understanding. Yes, I, I, yeah, okay, if, if, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, under your definition of, of God who has access to all these possible worlds. Okay, yes. All right, cool. So, so that's great then. So, so we're kind of seeing that ultimately, at least so far, the, the only really objectionable thing is premise one. I got to get you on board with my definition of God, the Molinistic defeater notion of God. Then, um, Yes, <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. That, that's that's right. Cool. I didn't expect that. So that's all right. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so yeah, I, I guess moving on then. So that, that kind of takes care of, of uh the god's knowledge part that getting the middle knowledge of my argument so then i need to talk about god's power because obviously that comes into play as to what world god or set of circumstances god actualizes so i'm mm -hmm. saying look god only has the power in premise six uh it's a premise he only has the power to actualize metaphysically possible states of affairs or circumstances and it directly follows from that as a conclusion, just the opposite is, is entailed. Therefore, God lacks the power to actualize any metaphysically impossible states of affairs. Mm -hmm. um, so I know you were asking about what does it mean to be metaphysically possible? Do you, do you have anything you want to discuss with these two? Yes, well, well, you pointed me to, to Craig's talk there, his lecture, mm -hmm. and he made a distinction between what's possible and what's feasible. Now, but he didn't actually use that phrase metaphysically possible. So, if possible, can, if possible, can you define it? What does that mean, metaphysically possible? Sure. So, so, um, and elsewhere, uh, metaphysically possible, I think, comes from Elvin Plantinga, who William Craig bases feasibility off of. So, Elvin Plantinga, mm -hmm. there's a difference between uh, strict logical possibility and broad logical possibility. So strict logical possibility that's that's what every layman understands right it, it's an explicit violation of the logical law of non-contradiction so i say that da david kemble cook is wearing glasses at this time and in this place and david is uh david is not wearing glasses at this time it's an explicit contradiction so that's a, that's what we would call strictly logically impossible then we get into the notion of broad logical possibility or what I call metaphysical possibility uh, or what William Lane Craig called in that talk feasible versus infeasible world. So these are again contradictions but they're implicit. So you have to understand it's not an explicit A not A but A not A is entailed once you understand properly. So and a famous example from William Lane Craig is uh, Abraham Lincoln is a primary number, is a prime number or something like that. 
Well, there's no A not A explicit, but once you understand, okay, Abe Lincoln is essentially a human being, a substance, uh, a concrete substance in the form of a human being. A prime number essentially is an abstract or mental object. So the two cannot be, it, it's like saying he's something and he's not something. Um, so once you understand that, yep, it violates the logical law of non-contradiction. That's my meaning. Um, other philosophers, there is different understandings of it, but that's my understanding. That's what I'm using it in this premise here. Um, so in, ter in terms of this free will debate, how this relates to these counterfactuals of creaturely freedom, I would say given our free will, that we are free will agents and stuff like that, there's a set of all strictly logically possible worlds. Um, and let's say there's 10 for the sake of argument. So there's a logically possible world where um, I'll use the example of God, right? So God is sinless and he's essentially sinless or whatever. But I think controversially, there's a, there's a strictly logically possible world where God lies, where God sins. God can do evil. That is logically possible. But it's not feasible. It's not metaphysically possible given God's nature. So there's mm -hmm. only a subset of those worlds that are actually metaphysically possible. What? Well, where's the hidden contradiction? Well, it comes from God's nature. He is essentially morally perfect. Mm -hmm. He therefore he couldn't exercise his free will uh, to actualize the world where he lies or sins. That's. Does that make sense? Or yes. So metaphysically possible means um possible in practice it's possible yeah, yeah. because there are no implied contradictions exactly yeah okay so. and and i gave the example the reason i gave that example is our free will you know is part and parcel yeah. of this right and that's what okay yeah okay so uh, i'm a vegetarian dale so actually the scenario that I eat ham for lunch tomorrow, is that metaphysically impossible? I would say not, because you're you're not essentially a uh, vegetarian. Um, it's yeah. part of your character traits, but you know, obviously, you have the ability to do that, the power to eat that. That's a contingent fact, and it's not. It's a contingent part of your nature. Yeah. Maybe a very, very close, uh, like a very ingrained property or, or actually yeah. but it's not so a... tomorrow you could win the lottery and offer me a million pounds to eat a ham sandwich for sure instead, yeah. of, instead of spending it on a car exactly and, yeah. and then i eat, i take the money and eat the ham sandwich yep i go against my principles exactly it happens all the time people <laughs> against their principles so <laughs> yeah yes okay all right all right um, so... okay so moving on. So, so here's, okay, move on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so here's premise eight. This is going to be a this is going to be a controversial one. In my own notes, this is the premise where I think the argument fails when I have the burden of proof because I don't think I can prove this. So, but it's essential, right? So I say it's metaphysically impossible for God to actualize a state of affairs where either no and or a different amount of quote unquote evil actualizes and whereby the same number or a higher number of free creatures past present and future combined freely choose 
to uh, fulfill the biblical requirements for salvation relative to the actual world in which we live, whereby a certain amount of evil in the precise way, form, when, and everything, all the details have to be precisely the same. Um, there is no other world where more, the same number or more people freely choose to be saved, and yet there's no evil states of affairs that actualize. That's what this premise is. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I would prove this. And this, this is kind of the Achilles heel of the, the atheist, because I don't think, uh, the, not the atheist, of the problem of evil proponent, I don't mm -hmm. think you can prove that this premise is probably false, but by the same token, I have no idea how to prove that it's probably true either. And that's why I, I typically don't try to uh, prove the Molinistic defeater. I just raise it as an undercutting defeater. Right. Well, it, it, it seems to be an absolutely necessary premise for the argument. Yes. And as you say, it's the, it's the, it is the crucial, the crucial premise here. Uh, if we can accept your definitions for the moment, then number eight, we can, we can argue about that. Um, we're, we're talking here about counting numbers of free creatures. Yeah. Uh, but I think I might have said to you on the last discussion that we had that this kind of reasoning that we are putting in the mind of God has got no basis for in the Bible. I think I said that is that this is kind of reason, the idea that God is counting numbers of people saved as a goal is nowhere got, got because God knows scriptural warrants at all. And it seems to be plucked out of thin air. I mean, how, how do we know? How do we know that God um, is actually is counting, counting numbers of saved people? And um, I mean, it seems like one of these games. I think there's a science fiction story there where God and the devil are actually doing this. You know, they're playing, they're, they're counting, and the number that gets the most wins. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good story. I mean, but it's, it's you know, I mean, the, the punchline is the end where the Christian said, "What well, you mean? It's just a game?" Yes. <laughs> Yeah, the, the best, best that can do, it, well, that, so that's where premise nine comes in. I'm saying, yeah, God does have this ultimate desire. So we, we can prove yeah. from the scripture that he does have the desire to free, to, to as many free creatures as possible will meet the biblical requirements for salvation. Well, in, in detail, but but that's not, again, what the Bible says, is it? I I, I was talking today with, with, um, with somebody about, you know, what the Bible says about salvation. And I said to you previously that I think now it's, it's really unclear um, what, that, what the New Testament says about salvation, whether or not, you know, the conditions for it and God's desire. I'm just looking at 1 Timothy 2, uh, which is an important verse here. Verse 4, talking about God, our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Now, that's a pretty clear statement about in there about the mind of God on salvation. And it doesn't say who will have as many as men as possible to be saved, which is what your premise is talking about. It says all men, all humans, in other words. And um, so, I mean, it, I mean, it's a good verse for universalism there. And uh, 
you know, my, my, my complaint, my problem is that actually the New Testament is inconsistent about what it says about salvation and there's strong evidence for universalism in the New Testament. And this is one of those verses. So here, here's how I would attempt to establish it. And, and bear in mind, I, I, like I said, I, I don't think I can meet my burden of proof with premise eight. But if I'm going to attempt to cobble it together, so I would appeal to these, ver these Bible verses that establish God has um, this important desire that as many free creatures, as many, that everyone, if possible, everyone, he wants everyone to be saved, right? So I, in the first place, my Molinistic defeater, I realized I don't need to argue. If you think universalism is true, cool. God needs to create this world with evil in order to save everyone. It, it doesn't matter how many people get saved. That does it, that's inconsequential to the truth of the Molinistic defeater. So cool. So we know biblically God wants everyone to be saved. We know biblically that it's the most important factor for human beings. We have verses that say, look, the heck with everything, lose everything in this world. It's trivial relative to obtaining salvation or having that relationship. So on an individual level, that's the most important thing for us. And we also have from premise one that God is morally perfect. So perhaps from those elements, we could cobble together an argument that well, therefore God would want to save as many free creatures as possible because he would do whatever the morally perfect thing to do is. It's morally the morally perfect thing to do. He, he has this desire for people to be saved. And uh, we know that that's the most important thing relative to every other pleasure or or benefit on earth in terms of earthly concerns. Mm -hmm. So therefore, yeah, we could kind of argue from that that God would uh, want the ultimate number of people uh, to be saved. And obviously he's, he, we know that he has created this world. So you got to kind of, it, it's kind of begging the question in this argument a bit, but you could cobble together that to say, yeah, well, therefore, this world must be the world where that maximum amount of people, whether it's everyone or mm -hmm. you know, everyone minus one, I don't know what the numbers are, but I, I do know that this world achieves that morally perfect result. Okay. There so, right. So this, this comes to the, the important issue then. Uh, what is the metaphysical possibility of somebody's salvation? Now, a, a universalist would say that it's metaphysically possible for everyone to be saved. And that's what will happen, because that's God's desire. Now, you might disagree. I think most Christians might disagree with that. But it comes down to, then, our view of how God acts and how we view free will. So if we've got a, a Calvinist reformed point of view, then we believe it, if you have or anyone has a Calvinist would say that God has laid down from the beginning, from the dawn of time, who is going to be saved and who is not going to be saved. And it is those who are going to be saved. It is only metaphysically possible for those whom God has decided in advance that they will be saved. And it's metaphysically impossible for anyone who is destined for damnation to be saved. So you see what we've got in these premises here. We've got we've got assumed some 
implicit understanding of how God acts in relation to human history and salvation. On the other hand, you know, if we if we might have a um, uh, we might believe in in um, in free will. What's it called? Um, where when you've got the absolute free will to do yes or no, go off script. Libertarian. Um, sorry. Libertarian free will. Libertarian. Thank you. Libertarian. Yeah, libertarian. If you believe in libertarian free will, then what do you say then? Well, it's metaphysically possible for um, everyone to freely choose. Even, even you know, the most dastardly evil creature could um, repent on their deathbeds. You know, uh, Adolf Hitler uh, and uh, Pol Pot could uh, could repent on their deathbeds and choose God and be saved. So there you have um, metaphysical possibility for everyone to be saved. So um, it's it's on you, really. I think to make. Um, to make it clear what your view of God is. Well, okay, so I agree and I disagree. So, so the first thing to say is, look, what you're talking, remember I said, what you're talking about now, this argument for universalism, that, okay, cool, let's pretend that's true. That doesn't matter, right? It, what the, the issue with this premise is though, is God's actualizing this world complete with the evil in it, is that, uh, needed in order to allow for universalism to take place so i just want to clarify that it, it's not a debate about well does the bible say some people are going to be going to hell or are some people saved regardless of how you answer that mm -hmm. and i have no secular grounds i i just follow divine revelation and whatever i think it says uh that's you know god has that knowledge so i would just believe him but whatever way you answer let's pretend i've misunderstood the bible let's pretend you know mm -hmm true this premise still stands it's just a question of well is evil needed in order to result in the that universalism and okay okay I, indeed so um so 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 well this is the point then and why why do we need evil at all you put it there as a premise but that kind of covers up the 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 issues here which we were talking about last time about soul making and free will and these other reasons why we might need evil yeah so but you don't you you don't mention them here but you kind of hide it in the premise saying oh we need evil but why do you need evil why yeah so so that would be that would need to be spelled out then like how do i yes it would it would um it's, it's hidden away here isn't it well i mean it's not it wasn't like i'm trying to hide something but i'm just saying like in this premise says it's metaphysically impossible, right? So when I'm providing warrant for this premise, um, I would need to get into those details. Well, what is you it? Would. How do I know yes. metaphysically impossible? And I, so I can answer why it's metaphysically impossible, but in terms of providing warrant, well, how do you know that this is that this is the case. So why, why is it metaphysically impossible? Let me just answer that quickly. It's because mm -hmm. our will is taken into the feasibility option. It's, it's impossible given this set of circumstances and my will and my will responding to it. That's what makes it metaphysically impossible or in non-feasible for me to choose to do the, the opposite uh, mm -hmm. or to not do that action. So it's, it's not, we're not governed by anything external to ourselves. Those 
simply play influences. And I've done a lot of work on the will and, and how it works and stuff like that. Mm. I've even published it, did a paper on acrasia and stuff. I have a unique Christian notion on that. Um, but okay, so great. So that's my story. This is this is the story of why it's metaphysically impossible. But well, indeed, you would need a you you need a whole argument for this, I think. And but I, I think it can be refuted quite simply. Again, I made this argument in my presentation is that if we just think of, say, this present world and we subtract from it one instance where, say, an animal dies in pain in a forest without this, and we, we subtract, say, an animal um, gets, goes into a trap and dies in pain. If we subtract that instance where the animal actually that instead avoids that trap, the amount of evil is diminished. But the number of um, the number of creatures saved is still the same. Or say there's um, a, a, a landslide uh, which which kills some people, or even just kills some animals. Uh, if we subtract that landslide or avalanche from the world, uh, the the amount of evil diminishes again because there's a subtraction of the the, the natural evil. But again, the number of people, numbers of people saved remains the same. Okay, so so no, you can't. You can just assert that, right? You have the same problem that I do in reverse. So you say you can refute this, meaning you can prove yeah. it. Yeah, right? I, 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 well, it's a thought experiment. Okay, cool. But here's the problem, right? So so number one, you whatever change in the states of affairs or circumstances, God creates the world where, I don't know, like he saves one deer or something right one one less deer from dying at that moment or something okay cool so he actualizes that world but that uh, those changes in the events aren't in isolation they have connections and have impacts on other things if you take over eternity uh not over eternity but over the course of all human history past present and future what does the change of a single event i mean you have things like the butterfly effect right so that's just at the same moment in time a butterfly flaps its wings and then it just has immediate consequences and stuff like that right so we live in a very interconnected system that will have impacts unforeseen uh, impacts just by changing one minor little event can have drastic consequences and that's even even impossible for a human mind to predict oh well how will this how will, what causal chains will result from this single chain let alone how will the causal change change in terms of human free will agents. That's where I think it's even more impossible to predict. We can predict deterministic changes to some extent. And then not only that, but how will it impact the causal chains deterministically and with free will agents over all of human history as well, in order to arrive at that final number of people who choose to be saved versus not. Uh, I just think that's impossible for for us to do, and I, I admit that on my end. That's why I can't independently prove this premise that it is true. It's metaphysically impossible for the same number, but by the same token, I don't think you, as the problem of evil person, can prove that it is metaphysically possible either. Well, I I I've, um I yeah I I would I would agree with you there. We can't hundred percent disapprove. Maybe that deer that escapes is going to become a rogue deer, and um possibly develop the ability to talk and uh, 
and talks somebody out of their salvation, possibly, or does something which makes somebody very angry and and when just about when they're point of giving their life to God or something like that. So yeah, you could strike you could strike that. But but we're talking, I think about plausibility here. Is is uh, we can prove nothing. You know, we're talking about what actually seems to us to be arguments that seem reasonable and it it does seem that we got this if we got this little deer in a big forest miles thousands of miles away hundreds of miles away from human civilization where in general all the deer live their lives um without any contact with human beings it does not seem plausible that that little deer escaping the track trap is going to affect the number of people saved or reduce the number of people so it doesn't seem plausible to me i know it's theoretically possible but you take my point to you is uh, that you're, you're positing this right, very very powerful premise here and i'm pointing out that there are immediate objections which yeah. are if not 100 you know uh knocked down are certainly plausible objections they're certainly they're plausible but i i would i i just think that it's not being honest right so so Okay, so let me respond this way. So in the first place, look, I, you could say I'm being a hypocrite because I do depend on our modal evaluating faculties in certain circumstances to know that there's counterfactuals and we can make reasonable predictions in certain cases, especially when it's just a determined, purely deterministic causal chain or something, right? So we do have some ability to do this, but where I think it's just a total free for all is when it comes to predicting how a free will agent, we just have our modal evaluating faculties just break down at that point in a way it doesn't do so for God. We, we cannot predict. I mean, I dare you to try it. You, you think you can predict, um, you know, pre predict a certain event and then that that's going to happen. And then the next five steps in the causal chain, including at least two or more free will decisions and try to predict how those free will agents will respond to those sets of circumstances. I, I think nine times out of 10, we're gonna fail. Um, and that's just a simple little experiment. Imagine predicting how those causal chains will influence multiple uh, free will agents over all of human history. I mean, what, what will happen 100 years from now if you let that deer live? It goes out into the woods, it gets rabies, and I don't know, some uh, an animal kills it, eats it, it gets rabies, and then it attacks a human being. Yeah, human being I agree. Adult yes, I know. I, I take your point. I take your point. You know, any, anything is, is possible. But but this this premise eight with, with the premise nine, so this is this is really the game, isn't it, Dale? Mm -hmm. Is that what... what you need to have for this defeater is supporting arguments based on um the free will which is what you were majoring on i think or um i think you were weren't you the free will defense uh to to support this premise eight well yes if i'm if i'm advancing it as an argument but when i'm advancing it yeah. as an underpinning defeater nope it's on you you've got to prove that this isn't true like that that scenario i just gave it's not just possible yeah. it's no dale no Dale. i just don't have to accept it <laughs> I, I don't have to prove it's false yes if if i'm in the context of today's show yes um absolutely 
But in the context of our last show where you had the burden of proof, I can just say that this is equally probable. That scenario I just made up about the deer, that's equally probable, right, to happen. Mm -hmm. You can't say it's not just possible. It's equally probable unless and until you can prove that it's improbable or in the context yes. of a show um, it's equally probable unless and until i can prove that it's probable probably impossible well right i, I don't think we can really talk about probabilities of, of statements being true in this context uh we could just say that they're not certain you know that they're, they're disputed or you know we can't be sure that they're true uh, we can't prove them beyond doubt um, but we can't talk about equality of probability here. Let me yeah. say this then. So I, I think we can, right? Because in philosophy, there's a thing called the principle of indifference, right? So the default starting point is in Bayes Bayesian talk, it's 50%, right? Either the hypothesis is true or the hypothesis is false. That's, yeah. that's the default, unless and until someone provides reason or evidence to favor one thing over the other. So in context of today's show, because I'm making the claim you're not, it would be on me to kind of say, no, it probably is metaphysically impossible. Um, and I would have to provide some reason as to why that is. I can't, can't do it, I'm admitting defeat. Um, but in the context of our last show, where you're making the claim about the problem of evil, uh, mm -hmm proponent of that they have to say that it probably is metaphysically possible 50 percent mm -hmm. or whatever and you have to provide a reason if you can't provide a reason to prove to to show that then we stay at the default principle of indifference it's either true or it's not i'm 50 50 i don't know i, I have no reason to well we we can say i mean just because mm -hmm. we're indifferent doesn't it doesn't mean we can talk about probabilities of being 50 percent just means we don't have enough information there to um, to make a judgment. Um, but in my the equivalent point in my argument for evil was my premise four, which is if God is morally perfect, then God has the desire to eliminate all evil. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is again, it's, it's, it's a statement which would need uh, supporting arguments. So is that that's the, is that right? Is that the same? Uh, equivalence there is my premise four and your premise eight we're, but we're, we're making premises which are contentious and would need supporting arguments uh yeah so so yes in the context of you making your your premise four you you would need to provide uh you know a supplemental argumentation or something yes. to back that up, one of which yes. would be having to refute this Molinistic defeater in an undercutting form. Yeah. Um, in context of today's show, yes, I would need to somehow back up this premise if yeah. I'm making the positive claim that, hey, this is actually true. This Christian Molinistic defeater is actually, it's actually true that it's metaphysically impossible mm -hmm. for God to create a world without evil and yet the same number of free will people. Yeah choose to be saved um okay well i think I, I, this is the important point then dale is that is that someone is going to read that and say why why is it true you know give, give me a reason why i should accept this yeah uh that's that's exactly right and yeah. the best i can do is so with the principle of indifference it it would be 50 50 percent 
true. Now, what that means, just to qualify, because I know you object to that. I'm talking I'll in object a, to it, yes. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm talking in a Bayesian sense. So 50% for the prior probability does not influence the probability one way or another. So it's the same as me saying, look, there's a 0% probability, uh, evidential proof that it is metaphysically impossible, and there's been 0% evidential proof supporting that it is metaphysically possible. Mm -hmm. We're in that middle, we don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's what 50% represents. So don't, don't get yeah. Yeah, so I, and, and I And I object to that way of thinking. I don't think it's, it's meaningful to talk about 50% probability of something being true uh, if we're indifferent about it. And I, I think there's a lot of, people make assumptions about probability, which uh, are not, actually warranted i think that there are quite a few different kinds of probability in operation here and we're, we're way out the furthest reaches of human reasoning when we're talking about probabilities of things like this being true and um, i don't think it's 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 meaningful to talk about something like the probability of god existing for instance okay and um and and so that's why I object to the the probabilistic arguments from evil from that point of view. And to, to me, um, either God exists or he doesn't. You know, it's either a zero or a one. It's either zero percent or a hundred percent. Now we might think about our opinions of God existing as being on a scale between zero and a hundred percent, but that's not. Of course, that's what's going on in our minds. That's just our opinion. Yeah, it's not actually a state affairs in the real world you know well, there's no possible world in which god exists 50 percent of the time for sure yeah yeah logically um, uh, speaking you're so right. i i object to this reasoning using principle of indifference well well the principle of indifference, this isn't purely epistemic right i'm talking about degrees of warrant or epistemic justification when i'm when i'm talking about the and, and mm. again, nothing i don't need to use the percentages i i can just say mm. look we're, we're indifferent we don't know whether it is metaphysic probably or okay yeah. so so we're talking about I, I agree well if you want to talk about our epistemic probability all right this is our subjective probability our, our belief if you like yeah. which could be a scale between zero and a hundred that's fine yeah. but then everyone's scale is different for sure and i and and everyone's prior is different well you might find two atheists who agree on a a zero for God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably, yeah. You know, Richard Dawkins and uh, give me another atheist, Daniel Dennett, will agree on their priors for God existing as being zero. Um, but um, but basically, we all have our different scales, don't we? Um, yeah, and it, that's so that's definitely true. And I, uh, yeah. even within ourselves, we have intra permissivism as well, which means. Yeah. When I do my probabilities, they change over time and stuff like that. So oh yeah, I know, I know exactly. Yes, indeed. So we've got I'm, multiple variations here, but and I'm, talking about subjective reasoning. Um, but some uh, sometimes I think these arguments they're dressed up as objective. No, no. So it's like um. Well, it, okay. Sorry, I'm going to shut up. I'll let you finish. But no, okay. Well, I I think I've made my point is that we there's confused thought about probability where we present subject, subjective epistemic argumentation and dress it up as something objective. Okay, so so I've put, a, in terms of me, maybe this is generally true, that's not what I'm doing. I put a lot of thought into 
how I use my subjective probability judgments, which amount to the degree of warrant that I, uh, I have for whatever it is. Okay. But um, so even though these are subjective probability values, that doesn't mean that they don't have an objective basis. The reasons I provide for that subjective assessment are in fact objective. And what I think that the way God operates, um, so I, on an epistemic level, I, I am a permissivist, um, which means I can allow for variation in the subjective probability values. I think God's role though is to the extent that sin is not affecting our cognitive judgments, we can be a reasonable within the reasonableness range. So maybe I'm 95% convinced the Holocaust happened and you're 96%, just for the sake of art. We're both within the reasonableness range. We can permit that that those variations. But if some guy comes up to us and says, well, no, I'm only there's only 20% probability that the Holocaust happened. There's something wrong with that guy. He's not within the reasonableness range. He's either- Or to take a, a more recent example, um, that 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 the um that the earth is flat yep the earth is round and you and i would agree maybe on 99.9 percent .9 there absolutely but then along comes the flat earther um who's uh at 0.1 percent yeah I've, I've, you know david weiss uh he was on my show debating oh yes Teddy. yeah he oh yeah yeah you know the flat earth uh, i put you in touch with one of those yes that's right so i had a very interesting debate um discussion with with the guy you put me in touch with so thank you for that yes no so that that that's really interesting uh, but the, the thing is then is what constitutes what constitutes when does the subjective become objective is it when enough people agree like you know most people would agree that the earth is round and um, so when does that, that's our 99.9% all join together to give us an objective fact? I think that, so, so the probability, it's the assessment itself would always be subjective, but it has an objective basis. So the evidence that I'm giving is objective. You, here's my reasoning, and you can access that reasoning and evaluate it yourself. The, the only time the probability itself would be objective um, which is very limiting and most nobody, not a single person, not even yourself would subscribe to this only using this kind of probabilities, I think. Yeah. Um, in a frequentist sense, statistical, oh, there's a one out of 52 chance of pulling this card randomly from a deck or there's a one out of six chance. Those are the only times the probabilities are actually objective. Um, you know, you, you can if it's based, if the probabilities themselves are based on objective facts of the world. Indeed, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I made some notes here. Um, I, I think I counted about six or seven different kinds of probability mm. um, where um, I can run through them if you like, but maybe that's not too relevant. But the probability that a fair die gives you a six, being one six, is objective, objectively. But of course, the die has to be fair. Yeah. So it's an idealized situation yeah no, that's you could call it a math mathematical probability it's the kind of probability that you know i deal with as i teach mathematics you're probably familiar with that as well but that's a different that's a different kettle of fish from the probability that um that uh that there is a god or a, or probability that abraham lincoln was assassinated 
or probability that Caesar, Caesar actually lived and evaded assassination and went on to live and die, you know, natural life. Uh, the probability that Jesus rose from the dead, um, which are alleged, all of those are alleged historical events. Probability of God being existing is some kind of is a metaphysical notion there of what my opinion about God, basically. Different kinds of probability. Another type of probability is probability that my team will win the league this year, which is something about the future, mm-hmm. um, which is, has, a, has a value, um, but it's not known. Um, so, uh, or rather, you know, once a year has gone by, we'll know whether that statement was true or not. But, um, but this is expressing opinion about future events. So these are different kinds of probability, Dale. And so we make a mistake if we lump them all together. I think it's all just one thing. Yep. Just one concept. Yep. No, I fully agree with that. Um, all right, cool. Well, let me ask, ask this then, just to finish off on, on premise eight. Forgetting about the probability question, because that's a huge complex issue and stuff like mm. that. Let me just ask you this way. Would you agree that uh, you are indifferent to whether it is metaphysically impossible or metaphysically possible for blah, 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 for you know whatever it says in premise eight here? Are you indifferent for that? Uh, me, um, yeah, I'm into. I'm indifferent. I'm. I, I'm indifferent because I'm the 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 concept of salvation to me. The biblical standards of salvation um, has become for me a problematic concept for reasons that I was trying to go through last time. But maybe we need a you know another time that we can actually do justice to that. I think we agreed that we would do that and so it, it's the whole context of it that i'm i'm skeptical about um and I, I i don't think i also made the point that i don't think that god if he exists whatever god thinks he doesn't think like we think he i don't think he's counting numbers of people saved you know in in that ridiculous science fiction story that i mentioned god is actually playing a game with the devil and they are counting numbers but i don't agree that the author of the universe has got that kind of mentality just if you see what i mean so i i'm 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 not just indifferent really i'm rather negative about the premise because i don't think it's the right way to think about god okay okay so so again it's kind of going back we would need to debate you think premise one is false that god is not a molinistic defeater type god and yeah we would need to debate that but in terms of the the problem of evil which assumes a god under the lines of molinistic defeater um i i think i have a huge success here in defeating the problem of evil where you have the burden of proof because you're saying look no given Mm. this premise we need to be indifferent to the truth or falsity of this premise and that's enough to defeat in an undercutting way the problem of evil. So that's a failure there. Uh, likewise, I will admit, in terms of today's show, where I have the burden of proof, I've totally, indifference, if, because you're indifferent, I've failed to meet my burden of proof. I haven't proved that it is probably metaphysically impossible like or something like that, leaning in that direction. So yeah. like, that's the way that's the way to think about it. Um, yeah. We don't know either way. Uh, I agree. I agree. Yes. Cool. 
Um, yeah, so so I'd probably work on something. I, I I think I gave those elements. You know, we know God's moral. If I were to try to budge you from the indifferent into thinking it is metaphysically impossible, I would use God's um, moral perfection and Bible verses about Him. Yeah, you have to get me on board with premise one, of course. Yeah, that's yeah, that's going to be the Achilles heel. It seems. Yeah. Like. <laughs> right. I would need to prove that that definition of God is in fact true for this argument to work or you'd have to get me to accept it you know persuade me um yeah and um that would be that would be the yeah the the first step then if i if i accept premise one i may well go along with premise eight awesome awesome well yeah i think i think that covers it is there anything else we missed are you no i think i think this has been really helpful dale and as i said i'm i'm surprised that william lane craig hasn't put out something like this and you know there's i think there's a uh, if no one has then i think there's a gap in the market mm. yeah for to, for you to get a paper on this mm. and um and you know i get this out but as i said you'll have to get more for premise eight and unpack the definitions and so on yeah but um yeah no i, th I think that's good oh one thing i want to say before we stop is that the talk you gave me back uh, William Lane Craig in 2011, he talks about possible worlds, um, but um, it's really interesting because I'm sure he's a mo he was a mo he was a Molinist then he must have been, mm -hmm. but he says that God doesn't actually know what free agents are going to do <laughs> in any possible world, but the whole point of middle knowledge is that he does know in the world that he actualizes he does know and that's that's why he. His actual his choice of which world to actualize is based upon his middle knowledge. Now he didn't use the phrase middle knowledge once in that lecture True. or in the discussion afterwards, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um I, I don't... So you, you you listen back to it and then tell me what you think later on. Yeah, yeah. If, if he did, so he he screwed up badly, uh, because I know for a fact he doesn't believe that. So if he said that, yeah. that's a mix up. Yeah, well see what see what you think. The only thing yeah. was he, and he wasn't describing the diff like free knowledge, natural knowledge, and middle knowledge. No, he he didn't discuss that at all. Okay, because that the only yeah. thing I can think of is God doesn't know, and God doesn't have free knowledge. I think until he creates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, if he's just saying in advance he doesn't have middle knowledge, uh, that was mm -hmm. a mix up. Uh, cool. I'll listen back to that. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I think this was really really helpful. It helped me understand um where the differences are coming from and it's even uh, surprising that number one is really where we're you we need to focus um and stuff like that but yeah you're i guess i'll have you back on in a month or two what do you what do you want to discuss next in terms of your um well i think we we, we were salvation is is the is the big question for me okay and we've touched on it tonight we touched on it on the last discussion so from my point of view, that would be the next thing on the agenda. And I'd like to run through the, the different ideas of salvation, how they match up with what's in the Bible, to support my contention that the New Testament is not clear on how what you have to do to be saved. Awesome. And so that, that would be what I would like to talk about. Okay. But uh, we can also have another go at this if you've had another uh, and a uh, chance to do some more work on it.
Okay, awesome. Um, okay, cool. And in terms of salvation, so it's specifically the conditions for salvation that you want to debate, and you're not claiming that they're contradictory. You're claiming that they're unclear or confusing. Well, yeah, I think they're contradictory. Uh, I, it, it's, it's. I mean, I have two problems. One is that um, it is not clear. I mean, you could take. Um, I have, you know, several scenarios, but you take the example of hypothetical example of a totally evil person who repents on his deathbed is he saved well you can look up bible that new testament passages that tell you he's he's damned because of his works um but on the other hand that he could you could say no he's he's saved because of his faith even though he has no works uh, on the other hand you could have a, a very good person and a pillar of the church who commits some evil act on the last day of his life before he repents does he go to heaven or hell Again, the evidence from, from the New Testament is unclear what happens to them. And I, I asked this in my church uh, last year, I think, and, um, and a, on a question and answer session. And um, the, one of the, the pastors, a minister replying, gave one answer. I think the, 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 the evil person um, who repents on his deathbed, he said that person goes to hell. And then I took that up with him afterwards by email and he gave the opposite answer of them. And then I asked another minister, what about these scenarios? And he said to me, we need a whole day and night to sort this out. So I said, right, you've just proved my point is that the New Testament is not clear what the conditions are for salvation. Is it by faith? Is it by works? Is it by grace alone? Uh, uh, is it faith through works, works through faith, grace through faith? Um, is it just God's decision? Um, all of that, it's just not clear. The other problem with, and, and you have, you know, clear works passages and faith passages in both the Gospels and in Paul. Uh, the other problem I have with salvation is that the New Testament says nothing about the salvation status of people who die at childbirth, uh, people who lived before Christ was born, people who've never heard of Jesus Christ, People are mentally defective, so even if they did here, would not be able to understand um, all of that. Um, the, the, the New Testament says practically nothing, except unless you look at the end in Revelation 21, where you say that people were judged on the basis of what was written in the books. Just looks like works. So, um, so there, those are my two major problems. Awesome, awesome, cool. Well, yeah, we will, uh, I'll be in touch sometime uh, September, October, and we'll. Hopefully we can get David Russell and he had to work yeah. today. So uh, okay. it'll be the three of us again. So yeah. Um, it would be, yes, it would be, it'd be really good. I'd appreciate that. And um, hopefully it'd be interesting to, to, to listeners. And today's been a, a really interesting discussion. So thank you for that. Oh, no problem. No, it was great. Yeah. Thank you for it. I think it was really great in helping me to understand your perspective and, and yeah. sounds like vice versa as well. So yeah. awesome. All right. Well, I yeah. will let you guys go next week. Um, I have a Theo Geeks podcast with David Russell, where it's his topic. We're doing um, an uh, analysis on the Beatitudes specifically. So look forward to that and have a great week. All right, thank you.